This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a good friend of mine, Adam Sedlak, president of UFC Gyms. We've known each other for many years, and uh, as the industry keeps growing, UFC Gym keeps growing. You keep growing personally and professionally, and I uh, want to talk here on this podcast about what's going on at UFC Gyms. want to talk about your management style, how you're able to bring on great people, and uh, talk about some franchising opportunities that are out there. So welcome to the show. Pete, thank you. And I got to say, you're growing too. Look at I you. Am. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm taking over a little more square footage <laughs> now. I also got a two bedroom, four bath. The two bathrooms are in the lobby of the building I'm in. So ah, I said, I'll be, I got a four bath. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're trying to, to forward the Halo movement and as many investors as we can find that want to get into the business. We want to team them up with franchisees that have area developments. We want to team them up with the companies and entrepreneurs that we think are doing awesome things. So I view ourselves as uh, we're, we're the connector. So yeah, I got to make sure it. I connect the right people. Um, so let's just start out, just give your back, your personal background, because I think every executive who becomes really good at what they do is because they've had experiences of what they're running at the ground level. So you can, you know, you, you can better understand and appreciate, you know, what it takes to make a business work. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, so starting in the industry, um, it, straight out of college and, I never thought the fitness industry was what I was going to do as a career. So mm -hmm. I started at the front desk and really it was just to meet some girls and work out and have some fun. And, uh, good directors. Yeah, yeah. and, and then uh, I saw these sales guys selling memberships. So I said, you know, let me try that out and started selling some memberships. And uh -huh. I had a little bit of results and success from that and then had the opportunity to become an assistant manager, then a general manager, then a district manager and a regional manager and a kept on evolving with 24-hour fitness. And, yeah. you know, I, I did things I think that others wouldn't do to, in regards to discretional behavior. And, and uh, you know, I've moved 20 times in my career at 24-hour fitness for well, opportunity. And and, uh, and sometimes you got to do that, right? You got you to do what others want to seize the moment. And I was able to take advantage of that opportunity. And I was able to surround myself with good managers, good trainers, good mm -hmm. front desk people. And to me, you know, it's the power of circle of association, right? It's the people that lead you and mentor you. It's the people that you lead. And it's the people that are side by side with you that can make you better. And I've been very fortunate to have incredible people around me in, in many areas of this business. It's also interesting, you know, we don't really talk too much about this, but, you know, as you have a culture and you've got a, a hard charging culture and you, your people are, are executing yeah. and then people want to get to the next level, you know, if you've got a couple of clubs and you're not growing, there's no room to basically empower people to, to, to take on more responsibility. So basically, you, you're basically one of the um, you know, results of like a high growth business where they can retain someone like you. And they could also say, look, you know, if you do this well, like three to six months from now, I've got an opportunity and it could be in a different city, but it's gonna you know, run in this play and you can kind of get higher up on the, on the ladder to help manage it. So like growth and private equity sometimes is viewed as like, well, we're growing because we're growing only for financial reasons to make money. Yeah. We're also growing because, like, we can't retain these people unless That's we right. grow. There's no, there's no way to go. Yeah. You know, no, so you, I got to build these clubs to get to basically retention of you're, talent. You're so right on that. And, you know, I think also what intersects that is what the how the culture is built at a senior executive level. 
Uh, a lot of people do it for compensation reasons. A lot of do, people do it for additional promotional uh, uh, professional growth. But there's also this avenue that says that I got somebody that's looking out for me. I got somebody who's yeah. got my back. And, sure. and so I've been able to fit in that lane where I've always felt like there's been a, a roadmap or a, a pathway for me to be successful as long as I run as fast as I can directionally. And, it, and it's proved out to be successful. That's great. So you moved 20 times. Yeah. How did you end up being, uh, you know, to, at, at UFC? And uh, you stayed there for a while, so um, congrats on, on staying, staying still for a yeah. few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I've been with two companies my entire professional career. Yeah, very clean resume. Yeah, but. <laughs> very simple, very simple. And, and uh, I went from a, a, a front desk person to a divisional president with 24-Hour Fitness and had an incredible learning experience. That company brought me so much. Um, and then... I had the opportunity, uh, you know, Mark Mastroff sold 24-Hour Fitness in 2005, right. I think for $1.7 billion, and, and, you know, he decided to go diversify himself and, and start New Evolution Ventures, and inside New Evolution Ventures, there's multiple fitness organizations, um, and he was friends with the guys at UFC, and, uh-huh. and those are pretty good guys to be friends with, right? So got Tita and Lorenzo and Dana, Dana White, and, and they said, hey, let's, let's think of a fitness concept around how UFC athletes prepare for fights. Right. And you know what? When Mark posed that to me for the first time, I thought he was nuts. Mm. I thought he went crazy because at that point, I wasn't a UFC fan. My, I mean, what do you think of, if you're not a UFC fan, what do you I'm think not, of? I'm not. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I've watched it. I've gone to a couple, but I'm, I'm not. But your natural uh, inclination is that it's you're going to get your ass kicked. You're, oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. Not, it's not not mainstream. It's not something I definitely would want to do um, voluntarily. So here, yeah. <laughs> so, well, but here's what happened to me. There's a, there's a, there's a switch that, that got that got flipped and and mark uh, told me he said go watch a fight camp go watch this camp and and understand how a ufc athlete prepares for a fight and then call me back in 30 days hmm. so i went to a fight camp and it was a, it was an amazing experience because what i saw was an athlete preparing for their fight they had nine specific coaches they had a conditioning coach, a jiu-jitsu coach, a boxing coach, a kickboxing coach, a nutritionalist, a psychologist. Wow. I know anything about all, this. All these people. And you know what the one thing they all had in common was? To make that fighter the best possible version of themselves on fight day. And, right. then, and then it triggered to me. I go, man, the fitness industry, the fitness business, you know, in, in the era of where pricing is becoming more and more sensitive, it's all about your value proposition. Right. And if we could create this unique value proposition where every consumer could have this incredible group of coaches in every gym where no matter what your goal was, what you wanted to accomplish, what you uh, uh, mentally or physically, what your um, opportunities were, we could have these coaches fulfill that gap for you. Uh-huh. And so these community of camps in these gyms resonated really well. And, uh, and, and as, I, as I investigated and I learned about it, I go, Mark, this is a home run idea. And then mm-hmm. he was working with Jim Rowley at the time with New Evolution Ventures, and the business was born. And, and so we started the company in December of 2008. We did our first one in Northern California, in Concord, California. The thing scaled incredibly well. And, I mean, I think we... At the end of pre-sale, we had 3,000 members, and, and then when the club opened, I think the grand opening had 10,000-plus people there, and, and let me tell you, it was a media event. Amazing. And it's, Love it's, it. It's the world of value proposition and distribution, and so we were able to take all the content we've been able to create from that event, and we leveraged it into the next club and the next club and the next club. 
And then in, uh, in 2012, we said, man, we, we have to be able to scale this globally mm-hmm. because not only are we making money with this thing and not, not only are these stores doing incredibly well, but we're actually creating a purpose in fitness. Right. And, and, right. And, and with 20 to 25% of the population in the U.S. in the fitness, we know there's gonna, it's going to continue to grow. And so many fitness concepts are just focusing on price, and, and, and it's fine. Yeah. I mean, listen, a lot of companies do really well with that, right? If, if you're a $10 a month club and you got a good value uh, and a good gym, um, you, you can make a lot of money. But the way I see the industry and, and the fitness business is people are looking for a, a reason to do it both mentally <laughs> and physically, not just physically. And so I think we're going to be able to fulfill that gap over a period of time and, and really uh, stand apart from other competitors out there. So that's why the franchise business had to take off and scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, Internationally, it's an, it's booming, right? It's a it's an incredible business right sure. now. Yeah. Uh, we acquired a franchise company, and at that point, the, the a, a lot of the existing franchisees that we had weren't quite up to the brand proposition of where UFC Gym was. So over the last five, six years, we've been, we've been cleaning that up a bit but we're, we're in such a great position right now to really evolve with the way people see fitness. So you've been around the industry for, for a long time, which gives you a great lens on, um, you know, things that come and go and, and um, competitors that come and go, pricing models that come and go. Um, how do you kind of, how do you as the, you know, as, as the CEO president of, of UFC convince people to say, look, hold the line, Okay. Like, this is what we're delivering. We're delivering an unbelievable experience. I'm not doing zero down. I'm not doing first punch free. I'm not doing, you know, taking this down to 29 bucks. Like, you got to stop and, and, you know, stop the noise and just focus on the relationship and focus on that if we ever give up price, we're never getting it back because there's no reason for us to raise it if we lowered it. Like, we got to stay where we are, and this is a good deal. And people are getting results. So how do you kind of think about where you are and how you convince people not to give away the store? It's a fantastic question. <laughs> and and because the the easy path of success is dropping price. Or you, you think it's the easy right, path of success. Right. But what happens when you drop price is the lower price becomes the new norm, right? So initially you'll get a an increase in membership acquisition because the sales team gets excited about it and and there's customers that you can go back and find and try to get in if you're $20 off. Right. But then once it becomes the new norm, people are gonna want it less and less expensive. Uh-huh. The problem also that comes with that is a lower value proposition. So if I say to you, Pete, come join my club, my product is incredible and it's $8 a month, you're gonna you're gonna be suspect on what my my right. true value proposition right. is for me. I mean, I can't a get month. a turkey turkey wrap and like a you know iced coffee for less than like twelve bucks, right? Exactly. So right. how did things? I mean, I understand the business model works on Planet, and it's yeah. great. I'm glad they got yeah. 15 million people to, to go in there. But I, mean, I want to get people results, but I also want it to be be delivered profitably, or else there's no capital that's gonna to attract the industry, and we'll all become. Nonprofits, yeah, yeah. which is not not going to be good for anyone. Well, listen, here here's where these low cost models are doing a good job: is they have low labor, they're fairly predictable. Um, I think the risk, the potential risk, is if people don't put money back into the clubs on capex to keep those clubs because they right, do, you know they sure. do two thousand workouts a day, right? So they're going to get beat up a little bit. Yeah. But the consumer 
today and in the future is going to be looking for diversity. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to see members joining three or four clubs at one time for different reasons and different purposes. And so I embrace it. I embrace it. I love $10 a month clubs because they, you know what they do? They spend some good money on marketing. They, right. they, they level they, awareness. Yeah, and, great, yeah. and, then, and then, and then that's the entry point for an average consumer that doesn't do right. fitness. And then we can earn the right to put them in our funnel and talk about the next level of membership acquisition where you can really truly get a different value proposition. Yeah, I tell people, look, I mean, if you think you're competing like just with other fitness providers, like you got a rude awakening because you like, we got to get people from spending an hour in a bar to spending an hour in the gym. Right. We got to get people from going to a movie or sitting home in Netflix, you know, and ordering from Seamless Web and we got to get their ass in the gym. Like that's where you're, you're competing for time. You're not competing for... If someone went to Planet or somebody goes to Soul Cycle, goes to Orange Theory, and then the next day they come to UFC, like that's fine. Like I'm on the rotation, right? right. The rotation's good, and we got somebody in in the sector. And if they get results from from us or from any of those other three, this is all they talk about. It's like if you think about like what I what if you and I 15 years ago, what what were we talking about? Were we talking about like I'm going on vacation like Vegas or like South Beach. Yeah. You know, here's the movie I saw. Here's, the, like, the girl I was dating. And um, here's, like, some, you know, maybe some, like, poker thing I'm doing. Uh, yeah. It went, And now it's like, you know, what, what fitness studio class did you take? What, you know, are you also getting another membership, you know? Um, did you go on this, uh, op, you know, I'm going this obstacle course rate. Oh, my friend went on this yoga retreat. You know, I'm doing this 10K. Like, it's almost like everything that people talk about. Besides, like, some new Netflix serial, you know, killer, killer making a murder or something yeah. that I really like, by the way. Yeah. It's, like, all it's all fitness-related and all Halo. And, and, and let me tell you, the, the number one ability to succeed or number one reason why people will be successful in the future, it's not really how great you understand the fitness space. And it's not even about telling the future of where fitness is going. It's about, do you have the right emotional intelligence, the right awareness to be able to get great people around you that can service the value proposition the right way and connect right. with the consumer? Yeah. And I think in today's world, um, you know, that's, that's something that we got to be incredibly sensitive to, especially when you start talking about margins and, and, and exits and, and, you know, how to, how to improve those because you can't go off and say, I'm going to cut labor to drive my success. Right. You got to invest and increase your labor, in my opinion, to get the right value proposition, to increase the revenues, to drive your overall margins. And so um, I think, you know, as I look at the industry and I look at fitness in general, there are some incredible operators out there that are doing just fantastic work. And I, I, I investigate them because I look at the way they're leading. And in almost every case, I see the way they're leading is through putting incredible people around them, Right. understanding how to be socially and externally aware of their impact on the business and their impact on people. And that's the X factor now to be able to grow business in the fitness side uh, on a go forward basis. I, I, I think that there's a lot of expertise and a lot of talent out there. It's just how do we navigate with each other, with one another to create this fitness movement and continue yeah. to accelerate growth. One, one thing that, um, that came up earlier in, uh, yesterday in a podcast that I want to share with you right now. Um, so we were talking about advertising. And someone's like, yeah, oh, my advertising expense, my advertising expense. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I said, well, you mean your advertising investment? That ain't an expense. And now you're talking about people. And like, you know, and I'm in these meetings all yeah. day with investors. They're like, oh, it's payroll expense on that. I mean, and I, maybe we should start to like, like obnoxiously correct people and be like, you mean my payroll investment? You mean my like human capital investment in this? 
Like my team. Like there was a guy who said to me in, in a podcast, Joe Cerulli. He's like, um, someone's like, yeah, we'll take your your, your clubs and we'll. Uh, you know, we'll stamp out another like 20 boxes. And he's like, I live in one of those boxes. I don't think we're going to get along. Like, I'm not doing a deal with you. I don't live in a box. Yeah. <laughs> I'm helping 6,000 people. Yeah. Basically, that's my name on it. Yeah. So Listen, what you say is so right. And, and, you know, you think about marketing, right? What is marketing? Marketing's job, there's two, there's two avenues. One is, of course, 100% organic. That happens from your consumer base. Uh, but the other one is how do you impact other members or other potential customers out there? And if you don't have the right value proposition, you don't know how to create content off of it, yeah. it's exactly how, you, how you're doing now with, with, with creating a diverse message through podcasting, right? Is that you have to be able to invest, investment word right. is the right word, into the right channels. Now, if you can't measure it and you can't understand it, then you might be wasting money because there's everybody, now, people are now seeing fitness as a success model. So everybody and their mom is gonna get into the industry to say, hey, I have the best next marketing idea out there. So if you can't prove it out and you can't measure it and you can't see the data off of it, it doesn't make any sense. However, sure. if you can, and if you're smart about it, it, it that's the bit, one of the biggest reasons of failure beyond picking the wrong people and the wrong real estate yeah. is that you don't spend money on marketing because people think it drops straight to the bottom line, right? So. I yeah. agree with you, hundred um, percent. So look, as you um, as you build out UFC and you're seeing uh, you know area development agreements and, and a lot of space. Do you how much of what you're doing at UFC has is in partnership or affiliation or that there's an understanding between the UFC gyms and the UFC? Like, hey, we got a big uh, fan base up in you know Seattle. Yep. You know, okay, let's go let's go find a franchisee for. For UFC gyms, are you doing that? Is that kind of just happening on its own? You know, how does how does that footprint look, and how's it going to grow? Yeah, good question. So, it, it, certainly, you know, in the in the U.S., it's fairly organic. UFC is one of the fastest growing sports out there, and so we can almost go to any market and resonate with uh -huh. the consumers. But you take a market like China, right? So we just signed. Uh, China as a master franchisor in Shanghai. Well, well, thank you. And, and what the U, what the UFC is is doing out there is what are they doing? They're investing a ton of money. They're building a, a performance institute out there, which is what they have in Vegas. And and uh, uh, their plans are to grow in China in a significant way. And, and when you look at the distribution strategy that the UFC has, which is one of the core essence of what our value proposition is, it definitely helps us create the footprint for the brand. Right? right. It, it starts the message. It starts the community communication and they've been so good to us in regards to helping us with our global footprint uh, to be able to resonate in, in all of these markets and so certainly there's synergies um, there's a lot of um, opportunity around the athletes as well and so when you when you look at the athletes around around the US um, they're all over the place and and now you have athletes that have a chance to participate inside these brands and these clubs and these individual states and, and it's a it's a great kind of next step for what an athlete does after they retire all right, cool. And then the last question I had uh, was, you know, if I if I have a club, and um, you know, I got an affinity towards UFC, but I also have a footprint. Mm -hmm. You know, how does that? Have you gotten a lot of inquiries on, you know, me rebranding so I can actually yeah. get the, some of the marketing power and the programming uh, that you have? Because I I know that there's a lot of clubs out there that are. Maybe I'll join a franchise. I'm not sure if it represents what it, what this represents to me in the market currently. You know, maybe I need a refresh. And, um, you know, also I need like some other people to help me with my marketing, which I can't really do on my own as a single operator. But I got a nice real, that's 60,000 square foot box and it's got a nice vibe yeah. to it, but I can't be independent forever. Do you have access to my email inbox? 
No, I do. Okay, I don't. Right, but right, I, right, if it's right. password okay, okay. one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, this is exactly what's going on right now is that with the increase of the number of clubs that are discounting in price, people are looking for a different value proposition to stand for so they can increase their price point. Exactly. Yeah, and so, right. so we're getting a lot of facilities that are calling us saying, hey, can we, can we retro this thing or can we change this thing to a UFC model? And so what we've done now is created three models, right? We have this signature model that is 40,000 square feet that, you know, is a, is, a, is a nice big footprint that's full service. And then mm -hmm. we shrunk that down to a 10,000 square foot box, which is kind of our mid-box core model that stands for five key classes, which is boxing, kickboxing, daily ultimate training, matrix, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And then we throw in the, the products of PT and uh, youth programming, which is incredibly impactful. And then we went all the way down to a class model, boutique model, an orange theory type oh, of really? approach where we just stand for boxing and hit class, and that's it. And, and it's 3,000 square feet. You can insert it in any big studio. So what, okay. what, what you can do is if you're a gym operator that's charging $10 a month for your 20,000 square foot gym and you can give 3,000 square feet to this space, now you can upgrade all these members from paying $10 a month to paying maybe $70, $80 a month to take these specific hit classes. Right. So we're, we're, getting, we're getting attacked not only domestically but internationally about taking the value proposition of the UFC brand and putting into these boxes for sure. And then the last part, um, which I had witnessed when I went to one of your uh, clubs, I believe it was in Bayside, Queens, where they had like thousand kids yeah. on like 39 a month or whatever it was at the time. But talk about how like, there really hasn't been a game changer in, in the kids programming yet, but I felt that was the only club I've ever been to. I was like, oh shit, like they're not just dropping kids off in like the kids yeah. center, but they got like their own little like teen gym over there. Like that was really intriguing. So it, the UFC obviously resonates with with younger kids, like it did with me. I was like a big WWF, WWE yeah. guy back in the day. You, you said know. WWF, Cabal, that goes back. Yeah, Calvin Clutch I did, yeah. like Jimmy Snuka. Uh -huh. Superfly, um, Superfly. Yeah, Superfly Snuka. Um, what, was the, what was the other Hulk one? Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Yeah, you got them yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Um, it was like the, uh, the what was the, the Camel? No, it was the Camel Clutch and one other one. Anyway, my point <laughs> is that kids love this shit, right? Yeah. And I'm saying, like, all right, you're in a great position to basically say, hey, don't just drop your kid off and they can, you know, play, you know, play with crayons. But, <laughs> like, we're actually got an experience for them. So how, where's that evolving? And by the way, I, I never did have a chance to thank you when you showcased your skills in the octagon when you came out and visited us in Queens, so I appreciate that. No problem. Yeah. I, I usually throw a basketball or a football around. I'm yeah. not football over here. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, listen, um, it's holistic, right? And so you, what you just said, the average person is not picking up on. But in most fitness facilities, you go to the gym and you drop your kids off in some urine-stained, carpeted, small little room where they watch a movie. Exactly. Right? The room smells. Exactly. There's no ventilation. The AC doesn't work. Yeah. It's a nightmare. All right, just kidding. Stop. Stop there. Yeah. No, keep going. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, we know. The place doesn't look so good. Got it. Got it. Not a place, I can, I can you, should, going. I can not a place going. you should athlete yeah. drop your kid yeah. off because yeah. you need to go on a treadmill for 30 minutes. And I want to say that's not in every facility, but, but it, it, it can happen. And so now, think about this, Pete. If you have kids and you can bring your and your kid takes you to the gym because they want to work out, yep. it, it, it changes the game. And how do you feel as a parent? when your kid is active versus your kid just sitting there doing nothing. It's yep. a whole different paradigm shift, right? So now you have a family that walks into the facility that starts and trains together. They enter the gym and they leave together right. feeling better as a, as a family. So That's great. Uh, it's been fantastic and it's, it's definitely one of the fastest growing segments of the UFC population. Yeah, I also think, what, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, my dad would come home, my mom was cooking, my sister was there. You know, we sat down, we had a meal. 
together. Yeah. You know, and I think in this day and age of people being so busy, you know, if you can actually go to the gym together, that might kind of check off the box of like actually having like a nuclear family that has, um, you know, time to spend together. I mean, I think it's important. A lot, a lot of people go in in different directions. They don't really have family time. In my opinion, great leadership and great families it's always about asking the right questions. Yeah. And I think when you get to train with your kids, it, it creates an environment where we get to talk about questions and talk to our kid and ask our kids questions about how their experience was and what did they learn and how, are they, how do they feel more empowered and confident in life. Yeah. It, it definitely is a, is a shift and I agree with you that the days of having a steak dinner with the entire family, they're gone. They're gone. It doesn't happen yeah, anymore. Gone. So, uh, so, so in closing here, what's a good, uh, what's a good sedlak, uh, you know, quote or like something that will come out of your mouth and be like, oh, yeah, he always says that all the time. And that's what, you know, is like go to or some quote that you uh, you find intriguing that, you know, helps you live or helps you diagnose a problem or like something like that. Yeah. I, well, I, I'm not that sophisticated, so you have to bear with me. Yeah. But, but but but, you know, listen, yeah, right, um, it, it's it's more. It's more paradigm, right? And it's it's the way I think you think. And and I'm such an incredible believer in karma yeah. and purpose. And and you know, listen, from an investment perspective, everybody wants to make money, but that is not my motivation. My motivation is to change the way people look at life and the and the change of the way people experience life. Yeah. And and listen, for the first time ever, Pete, listen to this. For the first time ever, our kids are projected to have less life expectancy than we are. That's unbelievable. And what does that tell you? It just tells you that the TMZ culture has completely taken over, right? And our job, my job, and other people that are on this podcast, yeah. their job is to figure out how to change that and reverse yeah. that. And so to me, it's, it's creating good karma through having the right power and circle of association of people that can go out there and create a purpose with the way that we live. Let's get people active. Let's get people in the gym. Bring your kid. We're going to UFC gym. Adam, thanks for being on, bro. Great talking to you. My pleasure. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. All right, people.